0: The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 42, The Ugly Hegel. Continued. Immanuel Kant's critique of pure reason was an attempt to carve out conceptual space for human freedom and thus for the validity of ethics in the face of the emerging scientific determinism of his age. Human reason, he asserts, faces fundamental limitations in its pretensions to knowledge No matter, therefore, how thoroughly our rational stories, our scientific claims to knowledge about our world, penetrate its mysteries, the autonomy of the individual, human freedom and ethical responsibility must remain postulates to which we can rationally assent, and human reason must forever find its limit in that to which it applies itself. When we elevate Hegel's narrative logic to a metaphysics – that is, remove all real constraints from reason's purview and action – Hegel's philosophy renews the deterministic threat, though on a new front, against which Kant battled. Hegel's metaphysics is one of deterministic optimism as it presents history as the progressive ascent of logic, reason, or spirit, from the conceptual opposition of being and nothingness to self-consciousness. While spirit is free, human beings are merely the flotsam and jetsam tossed about by spirit's movement, its perpetual and irresistible flow. The progressive, that is, evolutionary ascent of reason to ever-higher articulation and consciousness is the origin of Marx's faith in his own predictions for dialectical materialism. The anti-capitalist revolution will occur. It is, historically, inevitable. This same self-confidence pervades the post-Marxian leftists even though many have abandoned the undeniable Marxian historicist failures, the predictions of a necessary revolution undeniably proven false. Marx wrote in his Theses on Feuerbach, "...philosophers have hitherto only interpreted the world in various ways. The point is to change it." Hegel's philosophy was... As Marx indicates here, retrospective, descriptive, historical, and while his philosophy painted a picture in which human freedom, and thus ethics itself, was illusory, in which determinism ruled, Hegel posited reason's historical dialectical development as a summum bonum, a highest good. But it was reason, that is, spirit, that was responsible for achieving itself, not Hegel. Reason was free. Hegel was merely an observer and servant, albeit one with a special position from which to observe, a special knowledge of reality. There is, then, along with the arrogance of claiming God's perspective— a certain humility in Hegel's reach. While he occupied the divine position, he was a spectator, not the driver. This humility, alas, will not be in evidence in the prescriptive Hegelians. From his God's eye view, Hegel sought to explain the progress of spirit to his time. Spirit itself was not predictable but spontaneous, free. Apart from pre-existing structural indications, Hegel claimed that predicting Spirit's development was impossible. And most certainly, human action and conception, ethical or otherwise, was merely incidental to Spirit's progress. Right, that is, justice, truth, ethics, and morality— we can read here, all human ethical consideration, is a product of whatever spirit produces. All that is rational is real, and all that is real is rational. The Holocaust serves the advancement of spirit, as does Islamic terrorism and the Bolshevik revolution. What we call evil, is thus a justified, indeed good, which is the dialectical rewrite of necessary in the story of spirit, moment in spirit's advancement. Nothing can be wrong in any absolute sense, but only in the provisional sense of being that which must be overcome for the advancement of reason. The only absolute good is reason itself, and thus whatever promotes it Is justified. The end, spirit, justifies all means. Hegel's metaphysics can be, then, understood as a theodicy, a solution to the problem of evil in Western theology. How does it solve the problem? It makes evil unselbstständig, illusory, epiphenomenal a mere moment that is necessary to the ongoing narrative of rationalities coming to self-consciousness. It explains evil, and I would add ethics, away. Dissolving all ethical judgment into reason's progress. Evil is only an appearance. Rationality is the reality, and it always triumphs. For Hegel, the unselbstandig idea of a human ethics is essentially conservative. Conform yourself to reason, to the actuality of spirit that is the state. As all that is real is rational, the proper position of the individual is to side with, to recognize itself in the historical development of spirit to yield to determinism as your proper self-identification. Thus, Hegel's conception of ethics was decidedly not revolutionary. Marx was right. Hegel described the world. He did not seek to change it. Hegel's actions from God's seat were those of the observer, the historian, relating what has been the case. Prescription was never the explicit prerogative of the Hegelian philosopher. Hegel sided neither with the thesis nor the antithesis. He stood above them both. I would argue, of course, that this God's eye view is impossible, even for the historian. That Hegel's unlimited sight is outside the capacity of any human observer, that Hegel's descriptive metaphysics is an arrogated position, an illusory, perhaps better, imaginary perspective that no human observer can adopt, any more than the scientist can see the universe as a whole. To do such requires the ability to stand outside the whole, a position forbidden to any part. We observe here, too, the confusion of part and whole, and the arrogation of special knowledge that pervades Hegelian thinking throughout its history. Marx adopted Hegel's all-seeing eye, but, in addition, claimed for himself God's temporal transcendence and his judicial robes, In the following quote from Marx, you should note that for our purposes, the idea is equivalent to what we have called spirit, reason itself. Quote, My dialectic method is not only different from the Hegelian, but is its direct opposite. To Hegel, the life process of the human brain, that is, the process of thinking, which under the name of the idea, he even transforms into an independent subject, is the demi-ergos of the real world. And the real world is only the external, phenomenal form of the idea. With me, on the contrary, the ideal is nothing else than the material world reflected by the human mind and translated into forms of thought. The mystifying side of Hegelian dialectic I criticized nearly thirty years ago, at a time when it was still the fashion. The mystification which dialectic suffers in Hegel's hands by no means prevents him from being the first to present its general form of working in a comprehensive and conscious manner. With him, it is standing on its head. It must be turned right side up again if you would discover the rational kernel Within the mystical shell, in its mystified form, dialectic became the fashion in Germany, because it seemed to transfigure and to glorify the existing state of things. In its rational form, it is a scandal and abomination. From the afterward of the second German edition of Volume One, Das Kapital. Hegel says Marx, while reasoning properly got it wrong both conceptually and morally. Marx did not object to taking God's position, to claiming God's knowledge. He embraced that Gnostic arrogation even more robustly than Hegel. Like so many of the prescriptive Hegelians, Marx sought to separate himself from Hegel, but in doing so, only more deeply instantiated the Hegelian position. Adding to Hegel's all-seeing viewpoint, Marx took upon himself the role of divine judge, as well as the pretension to omniscience necessary to that role. Like Hegel, Marx saw a deterministic metaphysical reality in which human reason, freedom, and ethics are merely the result of the dialectical conditions which give rise to them. Humans are cogs in the dialectical machine. Morality is a function of the material conditions of the group to which one belongs, bourgeois or proletarian. Human beings do not choose their values. They are dictated to them by the engine of dialectical materialism the conflict between competing material conditions is likewise foreordained in both its point of conflict and in its resolution. All of this can be seen from outside the structure, from God's seat. And if we can see it, then we might as well claim the rest of the divine attributes for ourselves as well, right? While determinism is the rule humanity. The Hegelian cult of Gnosticism, standing where only the transcendent God can stand, knows better than the rest of the benighted world. It is this hidden claim to transcendent knowledge and right that truly characterize prescriptive Hegelianism, and is the reason I call it prescriptive in the first place. It is this insight that explains nearly all the pernicious results of Hegel's philosophy that follow. Marx claimed both the determinism that explains away all ethics and moral responsibility at the individual human level, and claimed the judicial robes of divine right, the freedom of God for himself. And thereby, the divine moral right to damn and to legislate. We can thus see in Marx the seedlings of Hegel's denial of transcendence, the progressive and ever widening gap between the world of transcendence and the ever ripening scent of God's decay of which Nietzsche spoke, the seeds that grew and prospered into the poisoned tree from which we harvest ever more deadly fruit today. From our very first episode of The Christian Atheist, I spoke of passing through the looking glass back to Christ. One side of the looking glass is the inversion of the other. In like manner, our series on Hegel presents an inversion. On one side is imminence and on the other, transcendence. This theoretical conflict is not new historically, as it played out also in the world of Socrates and Plato. It was that famous philosopher of imminence, the sophist Protagoras, who famously said, Man is the measure of all things. Whatever else the sophists may have represented, they most certainly prefigured Hegelian relativism. In Platonic idealism, this image of two sides of the looking glass can give us a pretty good picture of his metaphysics. The ideal forms of Plato dwell in transcendence, the eternal realm of the really real, which is lit by the form of the good, value itself. Our world, the world of becoming, stands on the other side of the looking-glass, in immanence. And the things with which immanence is peopled partake of the real as their reflections, their shadows. They are real as they come into being, indicating the transcendent realm which they imperfectly reflect. But they are also passing away. As in Hegel, imminence is the world of becoming, not of ultimate being. For Plato, then, as for the Western theistic tradition, what is, is expressed both in transcendence and immanence. But the most real being is the summum bonum, the highest good, or God. For Hegel, it is this most real being— that is denied, and the shadow world of becoming that is embraced, the lesser part becomes the whole. There is no being, only becoming. Thus, Hegel's philosophy is the inversion of the Western conception. Eminence is all there is. The universe is a design without a designer, A story without an author. Smoke and mirrors without fire or glass. There is no ideal pattern to which the accidents of nature, in their mathematical precision, the beauties and mysteries of the cosmos, the fractal complexities, or the complex indeterminacies of quantum fields that build up into everything that we experience of the world, corresponds. Rather, There is only the infinite change giving rise to everything that is, though for that very reason, everything that is, is only the process of change itself. From whence does this spirit striving toward consciousness come? For Hegel, there is no answer to this question other than, becoming becomes echoing Marx's sardonic dismissal of the question of man's origin in his Economic and Philosophic Manuscripts of 1844. Generatio equivoca, that is, spontaneous generation, says Marx, is the only practical refutation of the theory of creation. Who begot the first man and nature as a whole, Marx continues... I can only answer you. Your question is itself a product of abstraction. Ask yourself how you arrived at that question. Ask yourself whether your question is not posed from a standpoint to which I cannot reply, because it is wrongly put. When you ask about the creation of nature and man, you are abstracting, in so doing, from man and nature. You postulate them as non existent and yet you want me to prove them to you as existing. Now I say to you, give up your abstraction, and you will also give up your question. Don't think. Don't ask me. For as soon as you think and ask, your abstraction from the existence of nature and man has no meaning. End quote. In what way, though, is faith in an eternal evolutionary process—the faith of scientism, the faith of atheism—less remarkable, or more reasonable, than faith in an eternally existing, transcendent creator. Sit down and shut up, Hegel and Marx demand, as do their contemporary epigones, atheists and pseudoscientists. And don't ask such damned foolish questions. We know better now. When I turned back to the looking glass after 25 years of atheism, I had to face the absurdity of a reflection without a mirror, of a complex, rational, and detailed story without an author, of a world rich with meaning that created itself and decide which vision made more sense. Why is there something rather than nothing? And why is it that that something is so richly filled with value, beauty, meaning, love, and rational, intricate structure, including the reciprocity of ethical relation? Why is our world so attuned to the personal, that is? If all that underlies it is impersonal change. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.